Well, let's get into the Word today. It's already been such a wonderful day recognizing the joy of the Lord in our lives. Uh, Our Advent season, we have called this teaching series, He is Coming on the Clouds. And that comes from Daniel 13, uh, as Daniel saw in a vision, one like the Son of Man coming on the clouds before the Ancient of Days, which we know is God the Father. And God the Father gives this Son of Man an eternal kingdom. And this is a beautiful picture of the second advent of our Lord Jesus. We know the first advent, his first coming, is when he came as a baby, which is what we celebrate at Christmas. But just as much as we focus on the first advent of Jesus, we also want to focus on the second advent of Jesus, that he is coming again, not as a baby, not as a lowly servant, but as an all-powerful king who will rule for all eternity. Amen? So if you've got your notes with you, you can find your notes inside the bulletin. Uh, They're attached to this video on our website, and they're also attached to this audio if you're listening to the podcast. Here's our big picture point today, pretty straightforward. Joy is found this holiday season in reflecting on the first and second advent of Jesus. So what we want to do today is first we want to understand joy. And so we are, we're going to dig into joy today and uh, just look at it from a biblical context. And then we're going to apply joy to the Advent. What does the first coming of Jesus and the second coming of Jesus have to do with our joy? So that's our roadmap. That's where we're going together. So let's talk about this. What is the biblical context of joy? Well, in the Old Testament, they had two primary Hebrew words that they used for joy. The first one referred to victory in battle. It referred to uh, the army coming home and rejoicing in the victory that they had won in battle. And we know that in the Old Testament that that was a, a time of war in human history. And God operated through that time of war and through that human context. And so God even used war to accomplish his purposes, to execute judgment, uh, to do all of those things. And, and with victory in battle came great rejoicing. The second word that was used for joy in the Hebrew referenced knowing God and all of his works. There is a joy that came from simply knowing God or from rehearsing all that God had done. And man, the Hebrews were especially good at this. They were so good at rehearsing what God had done. You read some of the prayers in the Old Testament, like they'll go on for like half a page just telling God all the great things he's done, and then they'll just spend like 30 seconds asking for what they want because there's something powerful in rehearsing all that God has done, right? God doesn't need to be reminded of what he's done. He never forgets. We need to be reminded of what God has done. And so there's this context of of rejoicing because we know God and we know all of his works. In the New Testament, it's very similar In the Greek, it still refers to victory, but this victory now shifts to spiritual warfare. Now, of course, as long as humans exist, there will be warfare. Uh, But warfare doesn't function the same as it did thousands of years ago. Praise God for that. 
But now we live in an age of spiritual warfare. And so when we refer to joy and rejoicing, it is the spiritual victories that we can win. Consider Luke 10, 17, when Jesus sent out the 70 disciples, broken up into 35 pairs, and they went about preaching the gospel. It says, the 70 returned with joy, saying, Lord, even the demons are subject to us in your name. Come on, they had joy because they were winning spiritual battles wherever they went. But it's not just victory in spiritual warfare. Now the joy we have in the New Testament is the victory that comes from our salvation. Luke 15, 7, right, as Jesus was telling the parables of the lost sheep and the lost coin and the lost son, he says, I tell you in the same way, there will be more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous persons who need no repentance. Come on, there is joy in salvation. Paul wrote this in 2 Corinthians 7, 4. He said, great is my confidence in you. Great is my boasting on your behalf. I am filled with comfort. I am overflowing with joy in all our affliction. Even in his sufferings, he was full of comfort and joy. Why? Because of all the people he was seeing get saved through the proclamation of the gospel. So this is our context of joy. It's about victory. And it's about salvation. And in our victory and in our salvation, we find great joy in the Lord. So let's look at some of these thoughts that I put into your notes. The first one is this. Joy is more than an emotion. Joy is more than an emotion. I actually got to share on this topic at Auntie Eileen's funeral just a, a couple of weeks ago. And, and so this was so strong on my heart even as I was preparing this sermon this week. Joy is more than just an emotion, right? We know that emotions are chemical reactions that happen in our brain. There is a stimulus, there is something happens in our life, and there's a chemical reaction in our brain which sparks a feeling within our body. That is an emotion. Joy is so much more than that. In fact, I, I tried to articulate it like this in your notes. Joy, while closely related to the emotions of happiness and gladness, is an internal reality or state of being that is rooted in our relationship with God. Right? So joy is not an emotion because emotions are dependent on circumstances. Our joy is not dependent on any circumstance in our life. The only thing it's dependent on is God. And God never changes. He never shifts. He never leaves. He never abandons us. As long as we have God, we have an internal state of joy. So even if our external emotion is sadness, because maybe we're grieving, maybe we've lost a loved one, we're in pain, maybe there's tears and there's sadness, that does not change our internal state of being. The Bible says that when we grieve, we grieve differently than the world. Because we never lose our hope and our joy when we grieve. Sam Storms, who was an old-time pastor and preacher, said it like this, Joy is not necessarily the absence of suffering. It's the presence of God. As long as God is present, it doesn't matter what other circumstances are present. We can have that internal state of joy. 
D.L. Moody, probably the most important evangelist and preacher in the United States in the 1800s, he said this, the Lord gives his people perpetual joy when they walk in obedience to him. Come on, when we live a life of obedience as disciples of Jesus, we have an internal state of joy. But I also had this thought when, when I was uh, even preparing for Eileen's funeral. And it was a thought that I, we even fleshed out with, with Roy and Brian as we met for our discipleship group one Tuesday morning. And that is that joy is a choice that is set before us. Joy is a choice that is set before us. We have to choose joy. It's like a gift being placed on our doorstep. We have to choose to pick up the gift and bring it into our home. Hebrews 12, 2 says that we fix our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and has sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. There was a joy that was set before Jesus. What was that joy? It was all of the people who would find eternity in the new covenant in his blood and that he knew he was going to be able to rejoice together with all of those that he had redeemed. Even though what stood before him was a cross, it was torture, it was going to be the most awful punishment and pain and torment any human had ever endured. And yet there was a joy that was set before him. Walter Chantry said it like this, The only lasting and fully satisfying joys for any man lie on the other side of a cross. There is a joy that is set before us. And then James encourages us that we have to consider it all joy when you encounter various trials. So we have to consider it. What does that mean? That means it's an act of our will. It's not an act of God's will to just make us joyful. It's an act of our will to choose joy. Even though we're facing a cross, we're going to pick up joy. Peter wrote it like this, Beloved, do not be surprised at the fiery ordeal among you which comes upon you for your testing as though some strange thing were happening to you. But to the degree that you share the sufferings of Christ, keep on rejoicing so that also at the revelation of his glory you may rejoice with exaltation. Come on, every time we suffer... Every time we're in pain, every time life gets difficult, we're sharing with Jesus. And Peter's encouragement, keep on rejoicing. There is a gift that has been set before us, but it is up to us to choose to pick up that gift and to live with the joy of the Lord. Amen? Here's another thought. Joy is a defining characteristic of the kingdom of God. Joy is a defining characteristic of the kingdom of God. In Romans 14, as Paul was uh, having a discussion on the fact that the Romans were uh, maybe fighting amongst each other over food and drink and, and you know, what are we allowed to eat and what are we not allowed to eat and, and is this okay and, and, and everything, Paul's conclusion to this discussion was this, for the kingdom of God is not eating and drinking, but righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. That is the kingdom of God, righteousness, right? A righteousness that can only come from Christ. We don't live by our own righteousness. 
But we have been crucified with Christ so that we live by his righteousness. Righteousness and peace, there is a calmness in our souls, even when there is chaos in the world, and joy. These are the things that mark the kingdom of God, which means if we're not living with joy, we have lost the power of the kingdom of God. We have lost our witness. We have lost all of the spiritual blessings in the heavenly realm that have been promised to us as part of the kingdom of God. Right? The joy of the Lord is our strength. Nehemiah said that. In Nehemiah 8 and verse 10, right? They had just rediscovered the law of God after coming back from from 70 years of captivity. And so they read the law of God before the people and the people began to weep and mourn and grieve because they understood how broken they were before the holiness of God. But Nehemiah said to them, go, eat of the fat, drink of the sweet, and send portions to him who has nothing prepared. For this day is holy to our Lord. Do not be grieved for the joy of the Lord is your strength. He said, listen, today is not a day for weeping. Today is a day for rejoicing. So go make a feast. Make enough food for even those who don't have any. And let's rejoice because in the joy of the Lord, we're going to find our strength. That, that meaning of strength, that sense of strength in the Hebrew means a refuge. That means that when we have joy in the Lord, we have a refuge that buffets us from anything the world can send at us. Any pain, any disappointment, any brokenness, any struggling, any depression, any discouragement, anything. The joy of the Lord is a refuge from all of those things that the world just tries to hammer us with. And it comes against us, and it comes against us, and it tries to chip away at us, and chip away at us until we're just a shell of who we're supposed to be. And Nehemiah says, no, if you will keep on rejoicing, if you will keep the joy of the Lord, all those things will come but they will not steal from who you are. They will not steal from your inheritance in the kingdom of God. They will not steal your power and your authority that are promised to you in the kingdom of God. The joy of the Lord is your strength. The great theologian Matthew Henry, who wrote one of the most read commentaries of the Bible ever written, he said it like this, the joy of the Lord will arm us against the assaults of our spiritual enemies and put our mouths out of taste for those pleasures with which the tempter baits his hooks. So think about that. The joy of the Lord is not just our strength against the constant assaults of the enemy. The joy of the Lord is also our strength against the temptations of the enemy. Come on, when he wants to tempt us, when he tries to cause us to turn to sinful things to get our needs met, when we have the joy of the Lord, we lose our taste for those things with which he's trying to tempt us. Hallelujah. And what is joy? It's the fruit of the Holy Spirit, right? Righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. Or in Galatians, Paul says the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Come on. Joy is a fruit of the Holy Spirit. It is a gift that is placed before us. It is a choice that we make to pick up that gift, and it's in our intimacy with the Holy Spirit that we find that joy. Billy Sunday 
one of the great preachers of the early 1900s, he said it like this, if you have no joy, there's a leak in your Christianity somewhere. And so come on, today, if you're struggling in your life with no joy, let's find the leak. Let's plug the leak and let's get you filled back up again. Come on. I mean, we can keep filling the buckets, but if we don't plug the leak, it's just going to keep emptying out. Come on, let's find the leak and let's get ourselves filled again so that we can be full of the joy of the Lord. Amen? It's our inheritance. It's who we are. It's inseparable from our identity as followers of Christ. It is joy. So let's talk about this journey of joy in light of the Advent, in light of Christmas. Let's go to Luke chapter 2 and let's read one of our favorite Christmas stories, starting in verse 8. In the same region, there were some shepherds staying out in the fields and keeping watch over their flock by night. And an angel of the Lord suddenly stood before them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were terribly frightened. But the angel said to them, Do not be afraid, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy, which will be for all the people. For today in the city of David, there has been born for you a Savior, who is Christ the Lord. This will be a sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped in cloths and lying in a manger. And suddenly there appeared with the angel a multitude of the heavenly host, praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace among men with whom he is pleased. When the angels had gone away from them into heaven, the shepherds began saying to one another, Let us go straight to Bethlehem then and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has made known to us. So they came in a hurry and found their way to Mary and Joseph and the baby as he lay in the manger. When they had seen this, they made known the statement which which had been told them about this child. And all who heard it wondered at the things which were told them by the shepherds. But Mary treasured all these things in her heart, pondering them in her heart. The shepherds went back, glorifying and praising God for all that they had heard and seen, just as had been told them. Glorifying and praising God. Other verses say, rejoicing in the Lord. Hallelujah. The reality of Jesus brings us joy. The reality of Jesus brings us joy. Think about these shepherds. Nothing in their life had changed when they left that manger. Every circumstance that defined their life was still the same. They were still shepherds which at this time, a shepherd was considered a lowly position. It was not esteemed or respected in the community. They were considered outcasts. They were considered a little strange. They lived an isolated life. And so here we have these men who were outcasts, who were lonely, uh, who were not looked well upon, who were maybe spoken ill of, and yet they were rejoicing. Why? Because Jesus was inserted into their reality. All of their circumstances were the same except Jesus was put right in the middle of them. And when Jesus is inserted right in the middle of your reality, right in the middle of your circumstances, he brings joy. The reality of Jesus brings joy. 
you know, we love listening to Christmas songs, and so even when we get in the car, we always turn on the Apple Music Christmas station, and there was this song that came on. It was called Christmas Is by Percy Faith. And I have no idea when this song came out, but if I were to take a guess, I would say probably like the 40s or 50s. Like this was a classic old song. And it's a catchy song. It's a, it's a wonderful song for the radio. It's got a great feel to it, except that when you listen to the song, it says that Christmas is sleigh bells and Christmas is sharing and Christmas is holly and Christmas is caring. And Christmas is children who can't sleep and memories that you always want to keep. And Christmas is all your wishes coming true. And Christmas is carols to warm you in the snow and bedtime when no one wants to go. On and on this song goes and never once mentions Jesus. Now all of these things are wonderful. Right? The caroling and the sleigh bells, and I guess there's snow somewhere, not here. But the, the sharing and the, the holly and the kids being excited and the, the memories and all your wishes coming true. This, these, those are all wonderful things. But if the Grinch came and stole every one of those things from you, you can still have joy. Because the source of our joy is not any of those things. The source of our joy is Jesus. We want to insert the reality of Jesus in the midst of our circumstances. And so we have wonderful blessings in our lives. We have family and friends, and we've got this church family and all the support and love we have for one another. And, you know, we've got homes, and, and we've got these things. But I am here to tell you today that if we had none of that, Jesus would still be enough. And so this Christmas season, we meditate upon the baby Jesus and his first advent because it's that reality that brings us joy. I want to encourage you in this, that rejoicing feeds our joy. Rejoicing feeds our joy. Right? Paul was like a broken record when it came to this. Philippians 4.4, he says, Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say, rejoice. In 1 Thessalonians 5.16, he said, Rejoice always. We just heard from Peter a few minutes ago who said, Keep on rejoicing. Listen, if your bucket is empty, one of the best ways we can fill our bucket is to rejoice. If joy is an eternal reality that is a part of our identity in the kingdom of God, but if we're in a moment or a time or a circumstance when we can't seem to access that internal reality, we can't seem to access it. Just everything on the outside just feels glum. I just, I feel melancholy. I feel depressed. I, I feel stressed out. I'm chaotic. I just, I'm struggling. I can't access that internal reality. Well, what's the connection between the internal reality and our external selves? Is rejoicing. It's letting out that internal reality. And we can rejoice anytime. We always have reason to rejoice. How about A.B. Simpson, another great theologian and preacher of the 1800s? He said this, Begin to rejoice in the Lord, and your bones will flourish like an herb, 
and your cheeks will glow with the bloom of health and freshness. He goes on to say this, worry, fear, distrust, these are all poisonous. Joy is balm and healing, and if you will but rejoice, God will give power. Come on, something will begin to transform inside of you. The poison of this world that is trying to sicken your spirit and drag down your faith will be healed. Come on, let's cast out the poison and let's see our cheeks begin to flourish with the goodness of God because we rejoice. Hallelujah. You know, science has done research on this for decades and decades now. But God knew it from the beginning. Before there was even a field of science known as social science or positive psychology or any of that, God already knew it. Now you can read science reports that talk about how, uh, how rejoicing actually changes the structure of our brain. It rewires our brain. Our brain functions differently when we rejoice. That rejoicing releases serotonins and endorphins and dopamines. Right? Dopamine being um, our reward system. Serotonin being our mood system. And endorphins just make us feel good. Right? We, we love Legally Blonde. All right? It's, it's a little carnal, but it's a great movie. Um, and, and so the ditzy blonde, Reese Witherspoon, as she is going to uh, put this exercise guru, she is going to defend her in her murder trial. What did she say? She said... Exercise produces endorphins, and endorphins make you happy, and happy people just don't kill their husbands. Okay, so when we rejoice, it releases all of these chemicals in our body that reward us and lift up our mood and make us feel good. And research has shown that all it takes is 20 seconds. 20 seconds rewires our brain. Every time we choose to rejoice for at least 20 seconds, we are rewiring our brain so that we can get into better connection with the internal reality of our joy. So I just thought, let's try it. Now I know we clap at the end of songs and I know we can hoot and holler, but 20 seconds is longer than you think. It's longer than you think. So you guys ready? I've got a clock on the back, so I'm going to keep time for us. And I want us to hoot and holler and clap and make as much noise as we can for 20 seconds. Are you guys ready? Here we go. Three, two, one, go. Thank you, Jesus. Yes, Lord. The endorphins are flowing. Woo! We have just chemically rewired our brain to not forget the joy of the Lord. Hallelujah. <laughs> we'll pace ourselves. We'll, we'll work our way up. C.S. Lewis, who wrote many books and many essays and everything, he actually wrote an essay 
answering a question that somebody had asked him. And the question was, um, is what we just did, is hooting and hollering and jumping up and down and dancing, is it just frivolous here on earth? Is it just empty enjoyment? Is it just empty fun? Right, I got to go to a football game a couple weeks ago, man. You just, you know, you got 80,000 people that are just shouting and you're high-fiving complete strangers and, and it's just over a football game. And so somebody asked C.S. Lewis, is this, is this just frivolous? And he wrote this essay and, and, and the foundation of his essay was this, is that all of those things, hooting and hollering and jumping up and down and dancing, those things are all the foundation of what we're going to do in heaven. And so doing them on earth isn't frivolous. It's practice for the lifetime of eternity we've been called to live. And so he said, joy is the serious business of heaven. It may seem frivolous here on earth, but anytime we shout, anytime we rejoice, anytime we jump up and down, we're doing the serious business of heaven. And it doesn't matter if anybody else thinks it's frivolous. We know what it means for our eternity and for the kingdom of God advancing through our lives. Hallelujah. And then finally, an eternal perspective sustains our joy. An eternal perspective sustains our joy. So as we meditate on the first coming of Jesus... We recognize that bringing Jesus into the reality of our lives brings us joy. Then, when we meditate on the second coming of Jesus, we're going to sustain that joy. Because there is a promise of eternity that makes everything we face in the moment seem so much more insignificant. Listen, when we stare at the problem, when we stare at the pain, it just gets bigger and bigger. But if we would meditate on eternity, those things just get smaller and smaller. And so our eternal perspective sustains our joy. That passage from Isaiah chapter 35 that Davin did such a great job working his way and enduring through that thing. Listen, we understand this. I've taught this to you guys before. But when you interpret Old Testament prophecy, you've got to understand that there was a contemporary fulfillment and there is a future fulfillment, right? Even the prophetic word that said a virgin would conceive and birth a child, there was a contemporary fulfillment of that word in the court of the king of that day. And, of course, there was a future fulfillment in Mary conceiving the baby Jesus, right? So in Isaiah 35, this passage that Davin read to us, there was a contemporary fulfillment of it, and there was a future fulfillment. The contemporary fulfillment was the Israelites being released from captivity and returning to Jerusalem. And so when he speaks of a highway of our Lord that only those who worship God can walk upon, he was actually giving this picture of the journey back from Persia back to Jerusalem. And that as they walked upon this highway, God would protect them and no wild animals would harm them. And that when they got back to Jerusalem, there would be this rejoicing and this great joy that would happen. That was the contemporary fulfillment of Isaiah 35. But why do we read it? during the Advent, because there is also a future fulfillment, as Isaiah 35 is a declaration of our eternity. 
Come on, that there is a highway to the Lord. Jesus said that this path is narrow. Jesus said that he was the way, the truth, and the life. And that the only way to find this path is through Jesus. But that when we walk upon this path, that we will live in the protection of the Lord. And just as that physical path led to Jerusalem for the Israelites, so this spiritual path leads to Zion. It leads to the presence of God. It leads us to his throne room where we get to live for all eternity in his kingdom. And let's just go to verse 10, Karen, if you want to scroll all the way down. And verse 10, and the ransomed of the Lord will return and come with joyful shouting to Zion with everlasting joy upon their heads. They will find gladness and joy and sorrow and sighing will flee away. This is our promise. This is our eternity. A place of joy and gladness. Sorrow will not be allowed there. A place where we will rejoice for all eternity in Zion. And if we will keep our eyes on the second coming of Jesus, that will sustain our joy in the temporary moments that we face. Let me have Sugi and Jake come back up here. and I want us to get back into singing Christmas carols and, and rejoicing in the Lord together. And so let's conclude with this thought from Augustine, one of the early church fathers, 300 A.D., I believe, if, if I'm remembering my history correctly. Augustine wrote this. Now, obviously, he didn't write it in English, and it didn't sound quite like this, but this was the best translation of Augustine's writing. For there is a joy not granted to the wicked, but only to those who worship you thankfully, and this joy you yourself are. Come on, God is the joy. God is the joy. And there is a joy granted to those of us who choose to worship him thankfully. And then Augustine said this. Listen, there are not just people searching for the happy life today. There were people searching for the happy life in 300 A.D. when Augustine was writing and preaching. And he said this, the happy life is... To rejoice to you, to you, in you, and for you. That is it, and there is no other. Come on. You want the happy life? Then we want to rejoice to God, in God, and for God. And we will find the joy that we're looking for. Come on, will you stand together with me? And that is exactly what we're going to do today. We're going to rejoice in the joy of the Lord. And if you came here today just struggling with the difficulties of life, feeling a little downtrodden, feeling a little beat up, feeling like the, uh, my Christianity has leaked out a little bit. Maybe you're on our digital campus, or you're watching the live stream, and you're hearing this right now. This was your divine moment. God wanted you to know how loved you are and what joy you have access to. And this is our moment to choose joy. And this is our moment to get back anything that the world has tried to steal from us. Amen? Come on, let's rejoice together. Thank you, Jesus.